I am Dr. Jessica Bennett, and this is Season 3 of the Mindful Literacy Podcast. This podcast is created to build awareness for our nonprofit, Mindful Literacy Columbus. This season, we will hear from guests on topics related to teaching and learning. Many of the conversations are for parents and teachers and focus on the areas of literacy education and special education. However, this season, I will also be turning the mic over to several of my favorite teachers, my students. Adolescence is a tumultuous time, and I have had the honor and the privilege this year of sitting next to some pretty amazing teenagers who are intelligent, open, honest, mature, compassionate, and empathetic. We will listen in as two high school students explore their inner desires with career and college planning expert Aaron Green of In the College Planning Experts. We will also hear from a pretty insightful rising ninth grader who gets open and honest about friendship, family relationships, and growing up with ADHD. The mission of Mindful Literacy Columbus is to provide one-on-one and small group literacy tutoring to children with dyslexia or who are at risk for reading failure. It is our vision to create a center where children can have access to high quality, affordable tutoring no matter what. In our mind's eye, this center would also be a place where adults can study our language together and where parents can find support. Listener support is paramount how much we are able to support kids in our community. Thank you so much for your support. I have an announcement about our first annual Mindful Literacy Columbus Conference, which is happening October 12th, 2021 at Otterbein University in Westerville, Ohio. Virtual seats are also available. I want to give a huge thanks to our sponsor, Midwest Educational Therapist and Associates of Ohio, aka Meta Ohio. So grab your teacher buddies and grab a seat. Executive functioning, practical strategies for maximum growth. Learn strategies for building the big three executive functions in literacy, math, and social emotional development. Literacy sessions will be focused on how to teach kids who have working memory and processing speed challenges, for whom traditional Orton-Gillingham has not fully worked. Structured word inquiry and orthographic linguistics will be discussed in depth. Sessions will be organized into elementary, middle, and upper level strands in a workshop style so that you can walk away with tools, techniques, and deliverables to implement in your teaching practice immediately. The keynote address will be by Julianne Ash, who is a board certified educational therapist and is the founder of Meta Ohio. Lunch is provided during a parent and professional panel. It's gonna be super fun. As I said, this conference is taking place in person at Otterbein University or online. Registration is now open at mindfulliteracypractice.org forward slash conference forward slash. Listeners of this podcast can use code PODCAST10, in all caps, for 10% off early bird or regular registration. I'm really looking forward to seeing you there. If you would like more information about the conference, please send me a message on Facebook or Instagram. You can also email me, Dr. Bennett, at mindfulliteracypractice.org. That's D-R-B-E-N-N-E-T-T at mindfulliteracypractice.org. And our Instagram handle is at mindful.literacy.cbus. And on Facebook, we are mindful.literacy.columbus. Thanks again for your support. And we hope you enjoy this episode of the Mindful Literacy Podcast. Welcome to the Mindful Literacy Podcast. I am sitting with Jared Jones, who is an author and the founder of a publishing house. And I'm so excited to listen to his story about both ventures, um, mostly on behalf of the authors and scholars we have with Mindful Literacy Columbus. So it's so great to meet you, You Jared. Thank you, Jessica. Yeah, so um, I... I want to start off by just giving the listeners and you a little background on 
um, why I was so intrigued to do this interview with you. And it really stems from trying to reach kids who are struggling with literacy and realizing that just because someone is perhaps on a different journey to reading and writing doesn't mean they don't have great stories to tell. Yeah, so um, our little journey with publishing books started last fall when I met our now editor-in-chief, rising sixth grader, um, who just was really reluctant to put all of her amazing ideas on paper. So I said, that's fine, just talk to me. And you know, we kind of structured things where I would, I organized all of her thoughts and words coming out into a flow. And I said, look, this was all you. And then we started um, typing it out and she started pulling, putting illustrations to it with Pixton comics um, app. And all of a sudden she had this 24 page book that really told a story and um, was really inspiring and encouraging to, to kids. Mm -hmm. Um, and so through that process, other kids her age who are struggling with similar um, challenges with literacy were like, oh, she wrote a book. I want to write a book. I have a story yeah. to tell. Um, you know, so it was really cool to see the kids come together. And some of them co-authored books and they decided that they wanted to sell the books to raise money for scholarships for tutoring. And I thought that was amazing. And I also thought that they should be rewarded <laughs> with profits for the book. So that's kind of our deal right now. We have uh, mostly graphic novels right now, but we do have a few chapter books in the works um, with some of our middle school students. So I'm excited to share this interview with them and learn from you about authorship and the publication process and everything that your experience brings. I'm glad to be here, glad to to pass on what I know um, to to kids because, again, I'm also a teacher, so I'm a middle school teacher. So you know, uh, that's part of my DNA to, to be able to put, put things out there so that kids can learn and grow, uh, especially in reading and writing. Amazing. Where do you I teach? teach um, so I, I'm, I'm from St. Louis, Missouri, and I teach at a school called Hickson Middle School, which is, which is in the Webster Grove School District. And I've been there, just finished my fifth year there. Um, before that, I spent nine years at my my middle school, Brittany Woods Middle School in University City. It's actually where I went to school and I was there for nine years. And that was, I was like stepping back into time, you know, walking those same hallways that I walked as a, as a middle schooler. Um, so that was a great experience. And then uh, again, right now I'm at Hickson Middle School and, and enjoying it immensely. That's awesome. I didn't know yeah. that about you. How, how amazing to have this creative outlet, like you are living, being an author and a reader, and then you get to go share that in the teacher seat with, with young yeah. people. I think that's what a, you're a cool It teacher. was, it was, uh, it was, and, and what was weird is, um, you know, I've been writing this, this book that I'm uh, uh, just published for six years, basically. It took me five plus years to write it. And um, the, this last year during school year, and I really haven't done a lot of writing during the school year. I do most of my writing during spring break, summer break, and winter break, right? That's why it took me six years to do it. Um, but this last year, I was virtual the entire school year. Um, my students, the students that I taught were virtual from the beginning until the end. Um, so um, it was, I'd never, like, I never met any of my students this year, like physically met them. Actually, that's not true. I met two a few weeks ago at the rec center and we, they were up there playing basketball and I was just up there shooting and I'm like, hey, you look familiar. You know, I'm picturing a screen with your face on it. And that was like my only um, physical uh, 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 relationship that I had with a student this entire school year. Um, but I was also able to connect with them with my book. Um, one thing that I did, which, which I thought was pretty cool, is you know my cover for the book. I had like six or seven different examples that were given to me, and I sent them to my students as well as all the other ELA students um, in the school because the rest of the rest of the students were in school by that time. And I asked the ELA teachers to just um, have them pick their best cover. Um, it was a poll with all seven or eight of the, of the covers. And I said, Hey, most of them, or some of them knew I was writing a book, especially the, 
the eighth graders who I had last year for seventh graders, they knew I was writing a book. So I allowed them to pick my cover out of the eight different ones that I had. And I thought that was really a good way to get them involved and get them excited about the book. Yeah, definitely. Did you, was the one that they picked your favorite It was as well? my favorite because when I saw it, I was like, yes, that's the one. But there were others that I would not have mind having because they also fit. Um, it was my favorite because it was, you know, aesthetically it just fit my story almost perfectly, right? So the majority, there was 35% of them chose that and that was the highest percentage and that's the one I went with. Were they from, were the kids who voted familiar with the storyline? No, they uh, I gave them a oh, little bit of the blurb, just a tiny. Yeah. No, actually, I didn't. I didn't give them the blurb until after they picked, which is weird. Isn't that all they yeah. had was the title, My Invisible Father. That's all they had was the title, and they chose that based on that. That's yeah. so great. Yeah, there's so much that goes into um, publishing a book. So... What came first, you deciding to write this book or you uh, starting your publishing The company? book came first. Um, the the okay. idea of the book came, again, five, six years ago. And it's uh, uh, I didn't come up with the idea of, of doing my own publishing company until I got to towards the 12th, uh, tail end. Maybe like November of 2019 is when um, I decided, you know what, I need to do this on my own. And the reason is, um, long story, but I'll make it short. I used to be involved with music um, 20 years ago, 17, 20 years ago. Um, I was a manager of a, of a hip hop group. And, you know, I had some family issues, ended up getting separated, divorced. And I just kind of put music to the side. Well, I didn't necessarily put music to the side. It just, there was no more music. Like I never picked it up again. So I was really intent on writing this book. And that's all I was concerned about. Wasn't concerned about music. I still love music, still listen to music and all of that. But as far as my music industry goals, they were no longer. November, 2019, something clicked and said, you know what? You can use your musical background in, in um, to go accompany this book because you're writing this book for teenagers, for middle school and high schools. What do they love almost more than anything besides junk food, music, right? <laughs> so um, I said, wow, that's, that might be a, a, a good thing to do, you know, just have a, a musical soundtrack with this book. And that's when my musical career began again. And that's when I decided, you know what, I need to do this on my own. So I started my company, Jer Media Group. And there are two sides to it. It's the publishing and it's the music production. So that was the um, purpose of starting my own um, publishing company and uh, self-publishing this book so that I can intertwine those two without any, you know, trying to take this to a big publisher and not knowing how they would feel about it. Because I, in my mind, if it's something that they would agree to, they would have already done it. Like somebody... I can't believe no one's come up with this before, right? And I researched it and I found some people in England who are doing something similar. This one group, and I forgot their name, they're doing something similar. But what they're doing is they're taking songs that are already out there and using it to, to accompany the book. We're coming up with original songs and the songs are, um, are, are dedicated to the scenes. You know, there are songs about the scenes and about the characters. That is amazing. I didn't, I did not realize that when I looked at your yeah. website, but I've got like full body <laughs> chills and tears in my eyes because so much in the dyslexia community, we talk about, oh, how can we use technology yeah. to help kids read? And I can think of no better way to hook somebody into a story than through yeah. music. And um, I think that that's really a, that could be a really powerful tool for comprehension Absolutely. skills. Yeah. You know, like you. Wow, I'm just <laughs> dumbfounded. Like suppose, like, suppose we had a book that a kid loves, and a comprehension exercise could be them writing mm -hmm. a song 
about a character or a scene or how it how something affected absolutely. them. Absolutely, absolutely. I've, I've done so some cool. things like that in the past where they would write maybe a poem about the comprehension, never a song, um, but that's obviously something that could happen and would be very, I believe, beneficial for, for readers and as well. Okay, so you wrote a book and you wrote um, a soundtrack, yes, basically. Basically, it's <laughs> like a movie soundtrack, yeah. Okay, so tell tell us about, so the book is for um, adolescent mm-hmm. readers. Tell us, tell us about the book. So the book is about um, three teenagers. And again, the, the title was My Invisible Father. And it's about three teenagers who are struggling with um, their relationships with their fathers or lack thereof. Um, the book actually has one main character and you won't understand why he why why he's the main character until the end of the story. But we really have three main characters, and each character is telling their story from their perspective. Two of the characters happen to know each other and go to the same school, and they're friends. The third character, there, you know, is oblivious to the other two. But you will see at the end again how all three of these are connected. They're just walking through life with the struggles of life. Two live in poverty and one is not, right? So they're living different separate lives, but they're all struggling with relationships with their fathers. One has absolutely none, no relationship with his father. Um, one has really no relationship with his her father and um, anymore. He's in prison. Um, and was sent to prison when she was very, very young. So she's now 15 years old and hadn't seen his father, her father in, in like nine years or so, and pretty much cut off all contact because of his, you know, dealings of going to prison. And then there's a 14-year-old kid whose father, it makes a lot of money, has his own business, but spends more time with his work and being out of town than he does, you know, nurturing that relationship with his son. So they're struggling through teenage life already. Who doesn't, you know, as a teenager, you have to all these things that you have to adjust to and go through, but they're even more struggling with that bond and that that uh, relationship with their fathers that they so desire. So in the midst of that, there are some tragedies and triumphs that go through. And then eventually, because of a tragedy, um, you see how their stories are somewhat connected. And I think I'll just leave it there, but it's... Uh, it's uh, there's a little bit of mystery to it as well. So it's a realistic fiction story, but there's a little bit of mystery at the end as well. I can't wait oh, to read yeah. it. I've, I've gotten a few good reviews so far and I keep telling my friends and family and coworkers, don't tell me it's good just cause you love me. Please tell me the truth. Right. <laughs> um, but I've gotten some great reviews. Like people have sought me out to tell me how good it is. And I'm like, wow. Okay. You know, you didn't have to call me. 15 times to tell me that, right? So it really must be good to you. So I'm excited, very excited about it. When was your book born? So um, it's weird because self-publishing and the self-publishing company that I went through, you know, they they are they have distribution with Amazon, Barnes and Nobles, and and Barnes and Noble, and you know, a number of different bookstores and 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 uh, throughout the country, some that I've never even heard of. Um, so the way that process works is I received a number of books um, at the beginning of this process. Well, not the beginning, but once they were printed um, and I could either wait to publish them or have them actually officially published until, you know, until like Amazon published them, or I could do a pre-publish for myself. And that's what I chose to do. So on June 15th was my official release date. And on that date, I released the book and I also released a um, the, the first single of the soundtrack as well as a lyric video to that song. So I launched all three of those on June 15th. On that same day, Amazon allowed pre-orders, Amazon, Barnes and Nobles and Barnes and Noble and all the rest, um, they, they launched a pre-order date on that same day. So people could pre-order from Amazon on that day, or they can order directly from me on that day. Amazon's um, release date is July 16th. So, you know, up until now, uh, from that, from that then to from June 15th up until July 16th was a pre-order and then they're releasing it on July 16th. 
So exciting. Yeah. It's, it's awesome. Okay. Yeah. And this is so fun. So have any of your students? So I have not had contact and the problem. The reason more of the reason why is because it didn't really come out until we were out of school. So I know a few have it because um, I took some orders from some parents that I knew. Um, And uh, so but I have not had any contact with any of these students who have either ordered it or read it at this time. So um, I'm going to make a really big push again once we start back in school and and it'll be in the school libraries as well in my school library so um, we're going to make a big push when we get back in August. Do you think you'll use it in your curriculum? So some of my ELA teachers have been um, saying things like oh we're going to teach this book and I'm like slow down slow down let's you know, let's let's see how we can really, you know, implement this if we can. Um, we have four seventh graders, which I teach, seventh grade ELA teachers, and we really try to stay um, <clears throat> connected on teaching the same thing to our students at all time. So I would never just do it on my own. But if we come together along with our ELA coordinator um, and see if we could put this in the, in the curriculum, that would be great. I don't think it would happen this year just because we would need that time to really... Um, um, plan it out. Um, so maybe by next next year, next fall, I would love for it to be part of the curriculum. That would be great. Um, but we are obviously going to offer to students to read. You know, again, it'll be in the library. Some have bought it and some others may buy it again once we start back up in August. So it would be kind of cool, you know, if that were to happen. But I'm not going to push it, but it would be great. Yeah. Are you, how do you feel? Like, I'm wondering what your emotions are anticipating students you've had long-term relationship with reading your book. Are you like a little bit nervous, uh, excited? Like what's going through yes, your head? Yes and, and yes. I'm all, of, I'm nervous. <laughs> I'm excited. I'm scared. I don't know what to think. You know, I, I'm sure every author who puts a book out believes their book is good or otherwise they would not have put it out. So I have confidence, but I just don't know. You know, whenever you read uh, reviews of books, there are just an array of, of ratings and reviews from this was the greatest book ever to this author needs to never write a thing ever again. Right. So I'm going into this knowing that everyone's not going to love this book. Um, so when it comes to my students, my former students, I know they'll be a little bit objective just because we've had that relationship, but I really want them to feel um, that not only is it a good book, but that they can learn something from it, or they know someone who can learn something from this. Um, That message, that theme really gets out because without that, to me, the book is nothing. It's just a bunch of words, right? But when you have a message behind it that anyone can, can get something from, you know, uh, as an African-American, I have a heart obviously for African-American, especially males when it comes to reading, learning. I really want to make that connection with them. And I use music, I use sports, and now I really want to implement books to um, uh, in coordination with music and sports so that they can feel like, oh, okay. You know, and not every African-American boy likes music. Not everyone is good in sports but find that connection so that they can, especially those who are reluctant readers, so that they can find something that kind of speaks to them. Um, I used to work in a juvenile facility um, before I started teaching, actually, for uh, two or three years. And I saw so many broken hearts in that place. Um, so many people who have those, those kids who committed heinous crimes or petty crimes, whatever it was, but not, no matter what they, they, they did in their past, their hearts were really broken. I saw some who were extremely intelligent, like book smart, but then I saw some who couldn't read a sentence, right? So my heart is out, goes out to all of those kids. Um, but even the kids who are who I, who I call or who I like to say are rising readers, those ones who struggle but are really attempting, I want to give them something. For those students who are avid readers, I want to give them something as well. So I try to make that a part of my this book. I try to make that a part of this book that, you know, it's not just about kids who are in the ghetto or in the projects or living in the streets, but you have kids who are also one of my characters is at a, a private school. You know, he, he's a smart kid, right? But he still has struggles. So I want to make sure that that book is is reaching out to all uh, kids in some kind of way. 
I have two thoughts and they're in totally different <laughs> directions right now. I guess the first is, um, as part of my dissertation work, we looked at the importance of culturally relevant mm -hmm. material for African-American yeah. students. Um, my One of my advisors, um, Gwendolyn Cartledge, was um, the leader of this project. And she you know, would say how hard it is to find books that reflect what the African-American experiences. She's like, kids need to have books where the characters look like them and talk like them. And, you know, or, you know, at the time, you know, 10 plus years yeah. ago, you know, using the same um, terminology, you know, whatever the new buzzword right. is, you know, for, for different things, uh, it's really important yeah. so that kids can be like, oh, you yeah. know. Um, so I think that is really important, especially in light of the massive um, shifts that have been happening in the last yes. year, you know, have bringing more awareness to having more cultural diversity. And as teachers, especially teachers who are not of color, understanding how we can find literature for yeah. all and different, um, just how we need bookshelves and bookshelves. <laughs> Of diverse yeah, books, exactly. you know. Um, so I'm just really excited that you're contributing to the field because I know um, that there aren't enough books <laughs> about the African American experience, whatever that may be for for the for whatever gamut, right. you know. Exactly. Yeah. So I've I've um, you know I have what I call my my writing heroes. Um, when I was in middle school, I didn't really read novels. Um, I, I had an old soul. I read newspapers and magazines at 12 and 13 years old. So, you know, I didn't read all the classic novels at the time. And we're talking 1982, 83, you know. Um, and when I became an adult, um, I, didn't read, I didn't read fiction. Again, I read nonfiction. You know, I, I read self-help books. Um, it didn't get until I started... <laughs> teaching in 2007 that I really focused on uh, middle grade, high school, young adult fiction. You know, I did start reading some fiction on my own, but it was, there were adult mysteries and thrillers. That's what I loved. And then when I started teaching, I realized, okay, I have to read what these kids are reading so that I can relate. Um, my first school again was a, a, a predominantly African-American, about 75% African-American. The school I'm at now, it's about 25% African-American. So I've been on both sides of the, of the spectrum, so to speak. Um, so I uh, have realized that uh, as I began reading more middle grade and high school um, literature, fiction, um, I've, I've come across a number of writers who are dedicated to, with the diversity of their writing. Um, Jason Reynolds is like my favorite middle school, high school writer. Um, Angie Thomas, um, Nick Stone. So these are up and coming and some are not just up and coming. They're you know at the top of the list. Um, all those are African-Americans and even someone like Alan Gratz. Alan Gratz writes mostly historical fiction and most kids love his writing. He's a white guy from, you know, Midwest, but he wrote one book that I read that had an African-American um, protagonist. And I love that book, even before I realized that this was an African-American protagonist. Right. I love the book because it was about banning books. The book is called Ban This Book. And it was about they, the, the school system, because of parents wanting to ban a certain book from the library. And this African-American 12, 13 year old protagonist took a stand against banding her favorite book. And, you know, even that is a part of diversity that we need because it's saying, showing how an African-American young lady loves books. And we, we, you know, we need to show that so that, that we can see that it can happen. Right. Um, I, I, looking at your, your, um, website. I know that's where you're dedicated to those low readers, um, to those readers that, that struggle. And we need to show that, you know, they don't have to be considered low readers. They can be considered rising readers because they are where they are. We don't necessarily want to say, oh, you're a low reader. 
Uh, you're a failing reader. No, because that puts a stigma on them. You, you're a rising reader. You're a striving reader, right? As opposed to an avid reader. You know, an avid reader is already there. Someone who's not is someone who's getting there. And as teachers, as authors, I think that's, that's our mission and goal. Absolutely. It's so important to be mindful of our language yeah. set. Um, and those are great. I, those are great terms, rising reader, striving reader. Yeah. Why would you call a kid a low achieving right. reader? <laughs> you know, they don't want to be right. it. They, they don't. And if, they, if you tell them that they're going to believe it and they're going to be, they're going to settle for that. They'll settle for, okay, that's who I am. Yeah, totally. So one of the things, you know, I mentioned we right now, our nonprofit raises money to provide scholarship, mm -hmm. tutoring scholarships, but we really see um, our organization as a, a reading center in our community, as a place where teachers and parents can come get support yes. and learn new strategies and tools and they tutor uh -huh. kids. Um, so we've we've tried to write a few grants over the past couple of years. And the, when we first started digging into data, you know, we know we know a lot about the dyslexia data, you know, one in five kids has dyslexia and like a majority of them don't even yes. know it. But what we were shocked about actually was the fact that literacy has become such a social justice mm -hmm. issue. So you mentioned you worked in the juvenile detention center. We discovered some data sets that that suggests 85% of kids in juvie are illiterate. Mm -hmm. Um which does not match with our national, you know, the national reading achievement data is pretty bad as it is, you know, especially when you disaggregate across ethnicity yeah. and race, but, and socioeconomic mm -hmm. status. But if we're saying that, you know, 20% of kids have a, a reading disability that we call dyslexia, how in the world could 85% of kids be in juvie, be illiterate like this to me this is this the biggest problem that we all need exactly to solve. It's, it's basically saying those kids who again struggle with reading they find another outlet and when they find that outlet they all congregate in the same place and eventually they find themselves in in big trouble do you think that um we could do you think, obviously, like early intervention and um, early remediation are really important, but do you think that we can still reach kids who have found themselves in juvie and get them to turn around their shit? I, I absolutely believe it can happen. Um, it's, it's weird because I've just been, just, what's today? Today's Wednesday, so yesterday, Tuesday, Monday, Monday night, Tuesday, I think. Tuesday is when I got the response. Um, I wrote the state of Missouri uh, division of youth services and introduced them to my book and said, I wanted to get these books into the hands of kids who are in the, in the system, in their facilities right now. And they wrote me back the very next morning and said, yes, we want to do that. I did that because, again, my experience there, I saw, again, you know, out of 10 kids in a group, two were very literate. And, and there's there are the numbers. Eight of them were not right. Those, those that's at eighty five percent, right? As you said, and I wanted to be able to give them an opportunity to read something because you know one of my characters is not doing what he's supposed to be doing right now, right? He's he's out there in the street and he's he's making mistakes, um, but at the end of the book, there's a lesson to be learned. So I wanted them to see um, not only that you can turn your life around, one. Two, that you can be a striving student because um, even though this African-American is struggling with street life, he's in a school dedicated to students with, with high potential. So I wanted to kind of infuse all those things so that kids can see, you know what? If he can do it, I can do it. This is a fictional character, but understand that if he can do it, I can do it. And, you know, my ultimate dream would be able to go and speak to kids about life decisions, life goals um, in juvenile facilities, at schools. Right. That's that's my goal. My, my goal is to to work my way out of being a 
full-time teacher and being a full-time writer who goes and still goes and teach kids, right? Just just with with conferences or, you know, assemblies and just talk to them about making life goals and great decisions uh, on a daily basis. And I feel like a lot of these students who hear that may or may not heed to it, but I feel like some will. And if I can reach one, if I can reach two, if we collectively as, as adults, as, as African-Americans, as non-African-Americans, as teachers, as authors, as counselors, if we can just reach one, two, three, four, those numbers will add up. The work that you guys are doing, you know, again, I'm, I'm a big proponent of reading. So I feel like that is one of those things that if, if you get it early enough and you, and you make those strides, it's going to force you to, to stay out of those, those um, opportunities that could drive you down because you're learning, you're growing, you're getting better in school, you're seeing the significance of school, you're seeing making goals of secondary school, of college, of university, because you're reading and you're being fulfilled in that, in that way. Absolutely. And I think even through fiction, having um, archetypes that you can see, oh, there's another way I could be yeah. doing this. Oh, I can pull myself up. Oh, I can make a different decision because um, we can change every moment of yeah, every absolutely. day. It's change yeah. in a split second. You can, you can change mm -hmm. your mind in a split second. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, how beautiful. Okay. So I am like seeing you as a teacher have having like these lesson plans for your book somewhere. <laughs> well, actually, um, I don't know if you saw it on the website, but I do have an end of unit um, lesson for teachers who would like to, and I've had even some parents who've already bought them. Um, so yeah, that is something I would definitely, you know, you know, as an author and a teacher would love to see just continue to um, accumulate with lessons and lesson plans. You know, I wanted to have a, a, a guided reading, you know, where you can go chapter by chapter and have lessons, um, but I just didn't have time to really complete that. So eventually, hopefully I will, but I do have an end of unit lesson plan that uh, I was actually giving it away for free during the pre-order time. And now it's just $3 and you can download it. So yeah, I, yeah. what you see is is part of, of, of my uh, my goals as well, my dreams. That's amazing. I um, I was wondering if the lesson plans. So, how do you recommend this user experience in terms of how to interface with both the soundtrack and the book? Should we read the book and then listen to the soundtrack? Should we? So the soundtrack uh, is something you can just listen to intermittently. Yeah, like right now we only have one song that has been released. Um, by but the goal is before school starts, we'll have five or six and call it an, an EP. Um, so we'll have an entire five, six song set, um, hopefully by the beginning of school. Right now, we just have one song that is there. And this particular song is called Hot Heat. And it's about making decisions about, uh, it, it's kind of a dynamic between going to church and going to the club. You go to one place, you may have some different feelings than you do if you go to the other place. So there's a part of the book where um, the main character, he goes to this nightclub at 15. It's like an 18 and under club. And he goes there with, you know, his friend. And this is the turning point of the story. It's like the turning point because what he does, what he experiences um, it kind of puts him on a track that that's almost like a point of no return. So that song, you know, you get a little bit of that, of what happens in a club, and you see why it was the turning point in this character's life. So it's it's a thing where, you know, you can listen again, listen to the, to the songs um, throughout, before, during, or, you know, and obviously after you've read the book, and then you'll start seeing some of those connections and you'll start hearing some of those connections either way. So cool. I love that. So like, yeah, we, you talk a lot about, I mean, in, in comprehension, like the before, during, after of reading a book, 
But then the you, you throw in this multi-sensory layer of the soundtrack and it's just aids in comprehension. I think it's, I'm so excited to start incorporating this into my lessons with yes, students. Yeah, absolutely. Is, is there a minimum age for the book? I would say sixth grade, um, just because of the content. Um, my two main characters, two of the main characters are in high school, freshman in high school, and one is in the eighth grade. So, you know, there's okay. some content about relationships, you know, I mean, there's nothing vulgar in there, but, you know, yeah. kissing at, you know, at the locker, which was what high school students do, some of them, right? So there's a little bit of that in there. And then it gets into later on in the story, we find out that one of the parents committed adultery, right? So that kind of plays into the story as well. So I would say sixth grade and up would be, you know, the minimum of sixth grade for sure. Okay. And then do, what grade level did you, do you know if this has like a, a grade level? You know what? I have not researched that and see, you know, to see okay. what, and I guess I could go on uh, Amazon to see what they, I think, I don't even know. I haven't even researched that. I've done it with other books, but I didn't do it with my own book. So that's a great question. I'm going to have to go and look and see if, see if it's out there where it shows the Lexile and everything. That's Oh, okay. I don't know why I never thought of that. Well, and if they don't have it up there, I could help yeah. you. Like, I think if you just take little samples, you can copy and paste into, I'd have to, I can't remember what we used when we were equating passages, okay. but they, you can do us, you can get a couple different readouts. Oh, yeah. Um, okay, cool. So have you uh, ever read any books from Granity Studios? I have not. This is Kobe Bryant Publishing House. Really? No. Yeah, yeah. Um, I was. I've been obsessed with his books. A colleague introduced me to them, and they are they're related with sports. Okay. And um, like, so that my favorite one so far has been Apaka Tree of Life. So like, I will read these with students, and they had. Um, I have like some. You know. I've been building lesson plans on this mm -hmm. book, which is why I was asking about lesson plans. Um, but yeah, those are, that's another um, really great, there's different, there's, he maybe has five okay. or six. I will definitely. He basically, he created the story and then had an author. Got it. Them. I got it. Got it. Yeah. So anyways, that's another good, I was just curious. So, um, okay. So I'm going to have, I'm going to switch, have you switch okay. hats from Jared Jones teacher to, I want you to talk to our audience about your pen name mm -hmm. and why you have a pen name and how did you choose wow. it? Okay. Well, okay. So my pen name is Jer, J-A-E-R, Armstead Jones. Well, there's a couple of reasons there's a, that I've, I've chose this, this particular name. I'm going to start with the fact, I'm going to start with Jer, what that, where that came from. J-A-E, um, I have, I have four children, by the way. And my second oldest, his name is Jalen, and he spells it J-A-E, well, I spell it, we spelled it J-A-E-L-A-N. And when I was younger, um, you know, playing sports through high school, um, you know, we always gave each other nicknames. So my nickname was Jay. Sometimes J-J, but Jay. And I thought it was different to spell it J-A-E instead of just the letter J or J-A-Y, which we've seen. So I started spelling my name J-A-E, you know, when, you know, to mean J. R is actually my middle initial. So I put those two together, J-A-E and then that R, to come up with Jer. Now, Armstead Jones, um, this title of the book was, is My Invisible Father. I did not meet my biological father until I was like 14 or 15 years old. Now, when I say I didn't meet him, that's not 100% true because, you know, when between the ages of one and three, he was there. He actually lived next door to us. So he was there. I just don't remember it, right? At the ages of one through three. And from the ages three and a half to four years old, I did not meet him again or see him again for another 10, 11, 12 years. His last name is Armstead. I had been living with the last name Jones, which is my stepfather's last name, 
my, my mother married him when I was four years old. And that's just, that was my father, right? Um, up until that time. When I did meet my biological father again at 14, 15 years old, um, we connected right away, right? It was a little weird at first, I have to admit, but it didn't take us long to really connect. It didn't take us long to, to grow in and to love each other. Um, he passed away three years ago. So from the ages of 14 to the ages of 48, we had a really, really strong relationship. Um, so that's why I chose to use Armstead because I was his only son. He passed away and there was no namesake that would follow him um, throughout the rest of you know eternity, so to speak. So I decided I wanted to use that in my books. If I write one book or if I write 10 books or 100 books, that was, will be there. And that will be the way of uh, allowing his legacy to move on. That is so beautiful. Thank you for sharing yeah. that. It's a great way to honor, honor yeah, your father. I, I, <laughs> your father's. Exactly. Yeah. And yeah, I, I, I do, you know, and one of my characters has a stepfather who treats her like his own. And I can say that was the same thing with my stepfather. He treated me like his own from the day he met me, even up to, to even now. So yeah, I wanted to honor both of them. Amazing. Do you have uh, other books that are inside waiting? So I was reading a book about, I don't know, not even a year ago, maybe six months ago. And this, this author, it was a nonfiction book and he was talking about um, setting goals. And at the end of the book, he said that he has written down goals and it wasn't about book. It was just about life, his family and things he wants to do. He had a goal. He said about 125 goals and he read, you know, he wrote each one of them on page. And I'm thinking, man, there's no way you're going to do all of that. This is this, that's so unrealistic. And then I thought about it. I have like 200 titles on a Google Doc of ideas of books. And I know there's no way I'm gonna write 200 books, but it made me realize that what he was doing is something I did and I didn't even realize that I had already done it, of making these, setting these goals of writing, you know, over, you know, 200 titles. And I know I'm not gonna get to all of them, but yes, there are so many more stories that are inside me right now. And I don't know when the next one will come out, how many more will come out. I do know that I've been told by people who have read the book, I can't wait for the sequel. And I wasn't necessarily going to write a sequel, but now I think I'm going to write a sequel. And I think the sequel will, will work well because my prologue, I'm sorry, my um, epilogue in this first book talks about one of the characters in, this, in, in the book. And it was like last minute thing that um, I had a, a title. For, oh, actually, I can go back to one of the books that I was going to work on happened to be about someone who's in a juvenile facility. Well, that was going to be a separate book. But now there's a character who I can kind of, you know, transfer from this book into that book and just make it a sequel because it's still a, a one of the characters from that the, the first book. So that's my plan right now to write a book about a character who's in a juvenile facility. Um, and I will also include some of the earlier characters. So this story is not only about the juvenile facility, but those some other characters will now transfer into that book as well. So you'll get a little bit about their lives as they move on in school. So you'll see both sides of it, school and juvenile facility and just school outside. So that, I think that's going to be my next book. I love it. Um, I think there's something to be said about series and people getting emotionally connected with yeah. characters and wanting to know what happens yes, next. That's exactly what I heard. <laughs> that's exactly what I heard. <laughs> and it's, it's strange. Again, I haven't really talked. I have not talked to any teenagers. These are adults that are saying this. And this, again, this is book. This is a book for teens for, for you know, it's a YA book. But I've had two adults or who are in their 60s and 70s who are connected to these teenage characters and says, I can't wait to see what happens to them next. So to me, that's like, that is not something that was even in the plans, in the works. I'm, I'm trying to reach these teenagers and I, here I am reaching adults and I'm like, oh, okay. 
you know, and I know adults read YA. I do, you know, all of my teacher friends do, but I just, that's not something I was expecting. I think that is a testament to your skill. And I think that's really important that adults love the book that was geared toward adolescents because um, this work can't happen on its own with teenagers. They need real, as I'll call it, coaching. And so if an adult isn't connected to this book, you know, they need to be having conversations with the teenagers about the book. And um, whether it is about like metaphorical life Mm -hmm. lessons or like straight up vocabulary work, you know, it's hard to, it's hard to teach and connect, you know, if you don't, if you don't actually enjoy the book yourself, you know? Yeah. And it's weird because um, my first draft um, that I wrote, um, when I gave it to my editor in editor in t- January of 2019, her biggest um, advice was to rewrite it. Like, because she said, so who's your audience? And I said, teenagers. And she said, no, this, this audience is for adults. And I re- I had to read it again. And I realized, yes, like everything that I'm writing is catering to adults more than teenagers, even though my main characters were teenagers. So I rewrote the entire draft. I mean, I completely revamped it. And so now I revamped it. My audience are teenagers. It's written for teenagers. And now I see that not only teenagers can can relate to it, but adults are, are, are as well. If I would have kept just for teen- for adults, it would have been harder for teenagers to adapt to that, but it's easier for adults to adapt to something that's written for teenagers. Yeah, definitely. Um, okay, so I have just a few questions. I feel like I could talk to you forever, <laughs> but I have a few questions about the publishing side of your business. So one, the music side. So who wrote the songs? Who helped generate the music and produced it and everything? Is that all you? No, it's not all me. Um, I have a a music producer who who produced the tracks for us and all the music. Um, There was one that I co-produced. He did some of the music and I did some of the music. Um, I did like the drums basically um, on software, Um, but it was mostly him. And then the, I have at least two, three different writers and performers who are, um, use, who are uh, we have rappers and singers, basically. And they're adding their, excuse me, their vocals to um, these songs. We still have about two songs that we need to finish. We have like one that hasn't even started yet. Um, but out of the five or six songs, we have like two or three that are pretty much completed. We just have to mix them and uh and get them mastered so that process is going into the studio which has been hard because of COVID. um but um going into the studio uh, with the music laying down the tracks i even have some that are in other country uh, not other, other part of the country and they can do their music where they are email it to us and then we can put it on the tracks and it just it just fits so that's that's the music part of it. Um, it's been a collaboration of things. That's so yeah. cool. Um, okay, and then the second part about the publishing house is, what is your process for accepting manuscripts? So I read on I read on there that you're primarily focused on realistic fiction, mm-hmm. right? Well. Not necessarily, because I am in um, talking with someone who's in Kansas City, and he's writing a. Um, a nonfiction piece, just like an uh, um, inspirational um, book. And so I'm working with him right now. Um, it's been slow, again, COVID and everything with us getting our things going here. Um, so I'm not necessarily only working on realistic fiction. I will be open to other things as well um, as they come in. Um, but one of my biggest emphasis is working with something that kind of helps teenagers or young adults. You know, I have to narrow it down somewhere, right? I can't just be all over the place, yeah. especially starting off. So that's kind of where I want to focus Focus mostly is on young adults, teenagers, and eventually, hopefully even kids as well, you know, picture books and things. So 
that's, that's I, I'm, I'm, you know, gradually, hopefully it, it can get to that point. Yes, that'd be yeah. great. I'm, I'm really excited that you took the time to speak with us today. I, um, I hope that we can collaborate in the future, whether that is with our young scholars and authors or who knows? Mm -hmm. I don't know. You planted a seed, you know, like we can help, like, how can we help? How can we help train the teachers in the, in the juvenile detention centers to do best practices and incorporating this really rich, um, relevant literature that you created? I would love it. Like I'm, I'm so happy just to be making these connections all summer. Like I said, that's what I was going to do, dedicate to trying to push my book, but also make connections and just see where it goes because Again, I love teaching like a thousand percent, but if this could push me out, because I know if it does push me out, I'm still not going to stop teaching, right? If, if this book, if this publishing, if, if this thing can push me out of full-time teaching, I would be a thousand percent just as much happy. And because I know I still will be trying to reach young people. I'm, I'm convinced. I tried, I tried, you know, to go out into the corporate world and I just, it just didn't happen. You know, so um, I wanted to write for newspapers. My my bachelor's degree is in media communication and my master's is in secondary education. I tried to do that and I couldn't get away from kids, from teens. So, yeah, I yeah. I would love to to make these connections and see where they land. Yeah, I, I believe I believe in you. And I would say that because I was in the classroom and. Um, this has been the first year where I have not been in the classroom in 15 years. And, um, I still am very much a teacher just because I don't teach in a brick and mortar school in traditional setting. I feel like, um, with just my, my personality and makeup and, um, my frequency, Mm I am able to teach more deeply and have deeper connections with my students. So it's so true. It's not giving. It's not giving up. It's it's um, it's going beyond maybe for you personally. Yeah. taking it to another level, yeah. another step. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, I I'm I'm a hundred percent on board on on trying to see any ways that we can we can work together in the in the near future. Very near. Yes. Yes. I would love it. I um I will be in touch really soon. I think about various project ideas and what, however we can help support, um, you know, what's going to happen. I'm going to read this book and, and listen to the songs. And by the way, can I find your songs on Spotify yes, and iTunes? Yeah, Spotify. Okay. Um, you would have to, the name of the song is hot heat, H O T T H E A T hot heat, or you can look under soldieristic entertainment. Um, again, when you go to okay. my website, when you go to that music page, you'll kind of see all of that. Okay, tell us your website. Uh, Jer Armstead Jones. I, I, that's dot com, and that's kind of hard. So I always say, just say um, um, Jer Media Group. J A E R Media Group. If you Google that, okay. you should get it. Yeah, well, I'll put it in the show notes okay. too. Um, but my my point is, you know, I'm probably going to be tagging you on all sorts <laughs> of Instagram posts as I make my way through your book and introduce it. Um, to an appropriate audience and I can't wait for your journey and I'm so excited to have met you so thank you so much thank you Jessica It it was a pleasure and I loved it this was fun before we wrap things up have you checked out our bookstore for Beehive Press Beehive Press is an imprint of Mindful Literacy Columbus and it publishes books by kids for kids book sale proceeds go toward our scholarship funds We have nearly a dozen graphic novels and chapter books available. Check out our bookstore at mindfulliteracypractice.org forward slash bookstore forward slash. Thank you for listening to the Mindful Literacy Podcast. May you be inspired and energized and share this love with those in your care. We are so grateful to have you as part of our community. If you are enjoying the content in this podcast, please share with your friends and colleagues, subscribe, rate, and leave a review. Please also take a moment to connect with us on Facebook, mindful.literacy.columbus, and on Instagram at mindful.literacy.cbus. We want to hear from you. 
What topics do you want us to cover next? Who is doing amazing things in the field of education that we should be talking to in season four? Until next time, may you be happy, healthy, and at peace.